I am indeed Clay Leibold. Um, some of you know me, some of you probably don't. I'm, uh, what do I say, I'm an old guy who lives across the border and comes to see people in uh, Langley once in a while. I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad to be here this morning. A lot going on in this church. Wow. Um, and, and today, yeah, and, and you know, in addition, it's Trinity Sunday. Um, so in the church year, it's, it's uh, Trinity Sunday. And um, none of that is going to be in my sermon at all. <laughs> my scripture this morning is uh, Psalm 62. And if, if you got... Um, your Bible with you, you might want to open it up and sort of keep it open, okay? But, but you're saying to yourself already, uh, so Psalm 62, I mean, why Psalm 62, you know? I mean, who's ever heard of Psalm 62? Uh, it's nobody's favorite psalm, right? Except, except that's not quite true. And there's a story there, and I want to tell you just a little of that story. So years ago, many years ago now, I was in a worship conference, and there was a breakout session having to do with the Psalms, how to use the Psalms in worship. And so we sat down, and the person presenting, I don't remember who it was anymore, said to us, what's your favorite psalm? So I'm going through, you know, the kind of the usual list of psalms, Psalm 1. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 24, Psalm 19, skipped right over that one. Psalm 42, you know, the, the deer panting after streams of living water. Psalm 46, have I named yours yet? Um, um, you know, Psalm, uh, I don't know, 90, Psalm 103, 100, uh, 139, 150, somewhere's in there, I, I think I got most of you, right? And then this friend of mine, a guy I went to seminary with, said Psalm 62. And I thought, Psalm 62? What's Psalm 62? And, and, and then he, uh, the, the, the person teaching said, so why? And he, he named this. This is from the New International Version. It's right at the end of the psalm. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And I thought to myself, that's great, you know. Power and love. Those two things as, as attributes, qualities of God. And, and I thought to myself, I, I need to read that psalm and look at it and study it and maybe someday preach on it. And then, just recently, Pat asked me to preach on this Sunday, and um, she mentioned that Willoughby, for the summer, was going to do a series on Psalms. I didn't know the series wasn't going to actually start until July, but, you know, it's close enough, kind of a, a preview. And I thought, Psalm 62, I'm going to do Psalm 62. I hope nobody's taken Psalm 62. Well, nobody's started the series yet, so that's, I'm pretty safe. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Because when I studied it, when I looked at it, when I read it carefully in English and in Hebrew, it suddenly struck me that my friend had it somewhat wrong. That that's not the punchline. 
for the, for the psalm. That's not actually where the psalm ends. There is one more line, and that one more line is crucial. And that's what I want to get to this morning. So let's read the psalm. We'll read it uh, from the... The psalm has a title. You should pay attention to those titles. Um, For the director of music, for Jedithun. Jedithun was a a court musician, a, a, a temple musician. And it is a psalm of David, except that... We misinterpret Psalm of David. In Hebrew, it's just la David, for David, of David. You could translate it. It could mean it was written by David. It could mean it was in the David style. It could mean it was written for David uh, by somebody else. It could mean that it's part of a collection of psalms dedicated to David. It could mean a whole lot of things besides a Psalm of David in the sense that we usually take it. So you can make up your mind which of those you want to do. But here's how it goes. And I I would try to read it off that thing, except I'm old, and I can't even see that screen back there, so I'll read it this way. Truly, pay attention to the truly. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, it, it comes again actually six times in here. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would you throw me down this, talking about himself, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And then back again to to his soul. Yes, my soul. Find rest in God. Yes, by the way, is another one of those trulys. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And then this kind of observation. Surely the lowborn and are but a breath, and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion, don't or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, here it comes. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, power belongs to you, O God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And then this line, which finishes the psalm, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. So truly, odd way to start a psalm. No other psalm starts this way. It's a little word in Hebrew, ach. The aleph, which is sort of the opening of, and then then a-k, ach. You know, like, ach. It's, it's like he's musing, you know, the, 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 the psalm. He uses it six times in the psalm. It's like he's, he's taking account of his life, trying to figure out what's going on in his life, and, and he starts with, with God, you know. 
Surely, that's another way to translate the same word. As a matter of fact, that's the way it's always translated in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, you know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's ach. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. A friend of mine once said that his mother's name was Shirley. And so he always thought there were three things there, not two, you know. Not just goodness and mercy, but surely goodness and mercy. Um, it's, he, he starts off by thinking, now what are the facts on the ground here? You know? In my life. He's in a time of stress and peril, and he wants to know, what are the facts on the ground? And the first thing he wants to establish is God. He says, surely, ach, whenever I move towards God, it's literally what it says. Actually, it doesn't even have move towards. It just has the preposition, towards God. Surely, towards God, my soul finds rest. What comes from God is salvation. He's not talking here about going to heaven. He's talking about God fixing our lives, God bringing peace to our lives, God bringing solution to problems. He's talking about that kind of, 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 kind of uh, salvation. Surely, ach, he's, he's thinking. God is my rock, my rock and my salvation, those, those uh, Old Testament affirmations. My fortress, I will not be shaken much. The NIV gets this absolutely wrong. The NIV translates, um, I will never be shaken. That's not what it says. That's just a misunderstanding what's going on in this line. In this line, the poet is saying, I will not be shaken much, which means he is shaken. Things aren't going well, but he will not allow it to overwhelm him. I will not be shaken much. You've been there, right? You're trying not to be shaken. And then he, he sort of spells out what the, what the difficulty is, the, the situation, you know. And, and, and the language here is difficult in, in Hebrew, but, but, it, but it seems to be, what seems to be going on is that people are attacking him. I, it, you, can, you can interpret it as people are actually want to kill him, but I don't think that's so much as they are trolling him, you know. You, you, you know that word trolls? It comes out of the internet, you know, of the... It, you give people anonymity, you give people the ability to comment on something, to write to something, Twitter is full of this, um, and, and, and they, will, they will destroy other people, they will heap on them, they will, trolls is what we call those kind of people. It's, it appears that whoever this is writing, that the trolls have come out of the woodwork to condemn him, to attack him, to destroy him, to destroy his reputation. I, I just read a novel. Not, not a great literature, but, but a, a detective novel in which the, the, the crime starts with trolling. And this guy trolls this young woman relentlessly, calls her all kinds of things, and other people pile on and eventually it ends up in violence. This is bad stuff, nasty stuff. Surely, he says... They want to topple me. I'm a fallen wall. I'm about ready to, to topple over here. And so he's got you know, the facts on the ground. Over here is God, and, and I will not be shaken much. And over here, these relentless attacks which are coming on him. 
You've been there, maybe. I've been there. And then he starts over again. He wants to do it again. He's, he's musing, surely, surely. And again, but this time, instead of saying um, um, that, that, his, that when he moves towards God, his soul finds rest, he's, 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 he talks to his own soul. He talks to himself. He says, he says, rest in God. That rest is there for you. My hope comes from him. He's my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my salvation. And then, instead of turning back to the enemies, he turns to us. And, and, and he makes some observations about human life here that, that are, are really interesting. He says... He says that we should trust in God in all times, pour out our hearts to him. Pour out our hearts it doesn't mean quite what we think it means. You know, when we pour out our hearts, we are sort of pouring out our emotions. But in Hebrew, the heart is the thing you think with, and so it's, these are your thoughts. This, this is prayer he's talking about. Pour out your thoughts before God. And then this. Surely the lowborn, both of these phrases, lowborn and highborn, are, are, are just slight variations on the same thing in the Hebrew. They, they are son of man, and, but, but in two different ways. One which means people that are um, not noble, the peasantry, and one that people that are highborn. And in that culture and in many other cultures, I just came back from Europe. In Europe for a long time, that, that, that distinction was such a powerful distinction. I went to a, an exhibit in, in um, Amsterdam that um, it was at a house that came out of the, this house came out of the golden age of, of, um, of you know, the Dutch golden age when, the, when money was pouring in from outside into the Netherlands and this beautiful house was built in and it was, you know, hung with all kinds of paintings of, 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 uh, of the people that had lived there and, and paintings that they had purchased and it was, you know, gorgeous. And now what they had done in this exhibition is they had partially covered these paintings and put up, like, so you could just see pieces of the paintings and then put up quotations and pictures of people who were enslaved, of Frederick Douglass, of others who had lived on the plantations that were owned by this family so that you could see both the, the highborn and the lowborn and how the highborn were dependent on the lowborn. It was powerful. The psalmist says, no matter whether you were born lowborn or highborn, it seems that our life is like a breath. The, the word he uses is hevel. It, we get Abel, the, the name Abel from it, but also, you know, in Ecclesiastes all the time, vanity of vanities, that's hevel. The, the word that's used there is hevel. It's, it's empty. Breathy. He, he pulls out the idea of a scale, you know, 
Um, the kind of balance scale where you put a weight on one side and then you put whatever you're weighing on the other side to make them balance. And he says, if you put the weight over here and you put human life on this side of the scale, the scale doesn't move at all. It's just empty, breathy, just air. And if you're my age, you begin to know the truth of that, you know? How fast life goes. I was thinking the other day about my grandparents, Adria's grandparents, and how we remember them, but our nephews and nieces don't. They didn't, never met them. And how it won't be long, and my generation will pass on, and their memory will be gone, right? All but lost. Hevel, breath, air. And unfortunately, that truth has seeped into the culture. It, it, there's, a, there's a survey that they have done, a kind of general survey that they have done for 50 years in the United States, back in the States, and, and, and they, they monitor sort of the general mood of the populace. And, um, and about 2012, all of a sudden, it started to tip down. People started to think that life was less and less meaningful. And especially young people, teenagers, with horrible results. Life is just breath. And then he adds one thought, one thought. He says, he starts thinking about money, and I don't think the NIV quite gets the translation right here, but it's pretty close. He, he, he starts thinking about money, and he says, if you think that you can add money to one side, to your side of the scale, and thereby make you, uh, you know, the scale, your side heavier, that you can sort of balance the scale by adding money or position or power or whatever it is you're going to add over here, rethink it, it's not going to work. And then, and then we come to those lines here in my translation. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that strength belongs to God. I, I think that you know, he uses power, but it's, it's strength, I think. And that to you, Lord, belongs faithful love. Faithful love here is hesed. It's the word, the reflex of this word in the New Testament is agape, love. And, and, and those two words are at the very center of the whole Bible. Hesed in the Old Testament. Agape in the, in the, in the New Testament. Faithful love. It, the question which is being asked all the way through the Bible is whether God is faithful whether God is loving, whether God cares about us, and the answer always comes back and comes back singularly in Jesus Christ. God is faithful and God loves us. Hesed, agape, that's the theme of the Bible. So this is good, huh? And it goes together, by the way. Strength and love. Those are not two different things. In our theology, sometimes we think God is strong, we think of strength in sort of our terms. And then God is loving, and we kind of put those against each other. No, no. The strength of God is God's faithful 
love. Love is the strongest thing in the universe. Not violence. Not what we think of as power. Not all those things that we accumulate in order to, to put our power over, to dominate other people. But love. That's the message. So this is a powerful lines. And then, this is as far as my friend read. One more thing. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that strength belongs to God and that to you, Lord, belongs faithful love, but for you repay a person according to what they have done. And we, and we say, wait a minute, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God doesn't repay us for what we have done. We believe in grace. We are people of grace. We preach grace. We use all kinds of metaphors about grace, which go something like this. You know, that when, when God looks at us, when we, we come before the judgment seat, and God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. I'm sure I've said that many times from the pulpit. So what's this? It is the Bible, and it is grace. It is the grace that the Bible teaches. Because the grace that the Bible teaches is that you matter. Your life matters. That God will redeem not just you plucked out of something, but that God will redeem your life, your life, regardless of what your life is. Your life matters. Which is not always the message we hear, right? Do you know this passage from 1 Corinthians 3? Paul is uh, talking about his own ministry and he's talking about, you know, remember that there's a controversy there about uh, who they're going to follow. Is it going to be Paul or Apollos or Peter or Jesus or whatever? And, and then Paul all of a sudden um, um, says this. He says that each should build, on, build with care for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid on Jesus Christ. We would say that the foundation is laid on Jesus Christ and then on that foundation is, is the, the, the structure of the apostles, the apostolic testimony, and then on that all the testimony going through. But we're all building on that. We are all called into this ministry. This is, this is our lives we're talking about here. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, the judgment day. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. We will become, what we do will become part of eternity. And even if we don't, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved as though only as one escaping through the flames. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying you matter. 
What you do matters. Your testimony matters. Your, your, your life for God matters. What you do matters. You matter because God takes you seriously. God wants from you your best, whatever it is that you can bring. Not because we're saved through works, but because God loves what we do. God cares about what we do. You matter years ago a, a kind of image came to me I, I i don't remember exactly how i've used this thing for years in funerals um and i probably at one point or other preached it here i'm not sure and and um and if i did and you remember it i'm sorry about that but probably you wouldn't remember anyway so um so i imagined someone coming into heaven, judgment, you know, and, and the picture I had in mind is actually a place that I went to one time, uh, you come in uh, to this kind of balcony and then there's this long staircase leading down to where the throne of God is, and when you come in, the angel announces your name, Clayton Leibold. And all of a sudden, all the screens, the jumbotrons in heaven, light up. And there's your life playing, playing for all of heaven. But, but, and it's true, it's, it's, you know, it's exactly your life. Everything up there is, is what you experienced and what happened, except that you're seeing it as if you're seeing it for the very first time because you're seeing it from the perspective not of earth, but the perspective of heaven. And what you thought was important turns out not to be so important. And what you thought was tremendously, uh, and what you thought was trivial turns out to be tremendously important. And then, you know, it's, it finishes and all heaven breaks out in applause. And you hear from the throne, well done, my good and faithful servant. You matter. Your life matters matters. Resurrection means not that you are saved out of life, but that your life is saved. Your history, who you are, is saved. And that's what the psalm's about. Because God is the God of strength and of love. And because God has both strength and love. You matter. And if you matter, everybody else around you also matters. That's the gospel for today. The grace for today. You, in your life, what you do matters. Do it well. Do it well. Pray with me. Lord, that we may indeed take our lives as seriously as you take our lives. That we may matter in your eyes and in the eyes of all eternity. That our story is important. And that that great grace comes to us. 
in the power of the Spirit and through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.